All right, greetings each one to each one this evening from the warm country of Belize, where we don't have to wear all these extra clothes that you have around here. We had Bible school down there last week, uh, probably only a third of as many students as you have here, maybe fewer, I'm not sure. Um, would have liked to invite you all down there, but we didn't do that this year because of some of the restrictions from COVID and so on. It didn't work out to have very many people there. Um, so mostly just some of the brothers and sisters, some of the young folks from around our area there, some not even church members, but uh, invited them all to come out for several days of Bible school, only several days this year. <clears throat> so we bring you readings from the um, brothers and sisters uh, down there in Belize and trust that um, you will continue to pray for us here if you'll need of your prayers this week, um, every day in fact, but especially this week as we look into God's word, trust that our t- being together can be a time of uh, encouragement to each other and a time of helping us to uh, be revived and to get a new vision, renew our vision of heaven. This evening's message is probably not as much of a revival message as it is kind of a background message for this week. I like to often start my weeks of meetings with Revelation chapter 4. So we're going to go to Revelation chapter 4 and start there and look at some of these pictures that we have of um, Jesus here in Revelation chapter 4. Often when we talk about the book of Revelation, we become either distraught or excited or wondering or I'm not sure what all. And because of some of the recent events that there are unfolding before us, some people say, oh, this means this and, and, and uh, this is that. We're not going to get into that at all. We'd like to look this evening in the book of Revelation and try to see Jesus. To me, it's important that when we open the Bible read from his word, we see Jesus. Appreciated the encouragement in that direction even this morning in our uh, chapel. The idea of having a communion and having a connection, kind of like to talk some about connections this week, Uh, connections with Jesus, how to keep that connection, and uh, how God wants that to be a connection for us. We're going to start this evening with a picture of Jesus that we have in Revelation chapter 1, or chapter 4, pardon me. Many years ago, some of you from Seymour have known this person, and I told you before. Um, There was an elderly man, older brother, who was down working with us in Belize, and he had an old pickup. It was a 1972 Chevy. It wasn't really that old, I guess, in those days. And he drove the pickup up and down the roads. He made trips into Punta Gorda, which is the town where people went to to buy their groceries and uh, sell their rice and different things like that, so he made a lot of trips on the road. And the road is not very vehicle friendly. Uh, had holes and water puddles and whatnot all on the road, and, it, and so the truck always had troubles. And so our brother would, I remember seeing him sometimes uh, at night when he's going to make a trip the next day, he'd be out there on his back under the pickup with a little square flashlight looking up under the pickup and wiring up uh, a falling exhaust pipe or looking at a bearing or who knows what underneath there. And he would mutter 
if my boy were here, he'd fix this thing right. And then after a while, it'd be the alternator would be bad or something else, and, and we didn't know how to fix alternators. And if my boy were here, he could fix this. Uh, you know, after a while, my boy can fix anything. No matter what's wrong, my boy could fix it. And that's exactly what God wants you to see. My boy can fix anything. And he starts out here in Revelation 4 with a picture of my boy. In fact, I think there's a picture of my boy in Revelation 5, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way up to chapter 10. There's, there's, there's kind of an ongoing unfolding of a picture of my boy. Now, we're going to, I'm not going to look at that uh, tonight, but we're going to look at one um, chapter, one section of it here, of my boy. Because no matter what happens, no matter how difficult the days are that are ahead of you, no matter how hard it is to make the right move, my boy can fix it. There's nothing my boy can't fix. My boy can fix everything. So I think God wants us to get that picture and keep that picture in our minds. Uh, my boy can fix everything. <clears throat> so let's look at, take a picture at my boy again in uh, Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4. Just read it through, then we'll come back and pick up some of the uh, points that we have here. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which, which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. I'm just going to stop right there. I wasn't going to stop there, but I had to think about this one. Um, <clears throat> the voice said, Come up hither. This morning we heard, God wants us to abide. God wants a relationship. The voice said, Come up here. And immediately I was in the Spirit. That's a wonderful experience. If we can have that experience, if that can be reality for us, that we hear God's voice saying, come up here, and we're in the Spirit. And we begin to see things from God's perspective, and that's what he wants us to see tonight. Continue on there. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the crown proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass likened to crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, and is, and is to come. And when those four beasts, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All right, let's go back and just pick up a few things, because some of the pictures here um, are a little difficult to understand. We're not used to seeing uh, beasts with uh, faces of an eagle or um, other kind of face. It's an animal that has different faces. We're not used to seeing that. We're not quite with it, I guess, in figuring all these things out. 
Remembering that John is a man like we are. He's trying to explain in terms that we understand what he can see, things that we can't understand, things that we've never seen, we won't be able to see, won't be able to understand, but he's trying to put them in words so that we can get a picture of what it's like, what he saw up there when he was in the Spirit, when he was taken up close to God, shall we say, and he was in the Spirit, and he was having this fellowship with God there in heaven. Um, We're not going to get everything by any chance, but verse 4 Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. I'd like to mention that just a little bit. Around this throne of God, obviously God is sitting on the throne. He's the one that's on the throne, the rainbow around his head, and lightnings and thunderings coming forth, and, and the beings around there. And it seemed like there may be like a, some of the Old Testament places that it describes a fire kind of enfolding itself or unfolding itself, kind of a, a fire there. And out of the midst of this, we, we have uh, these four beasts seem to be in the middle of this, and around that, then, we have 24 seats. And there's 24 people seated on, this, on these seats. Now, who are the 24 people? It's good for us to get a little bit of an idea who the 24 people are here. Who are these 24 people seated on the seats? Well, let's look at Matthew 19.28. Matthew 19.28 is probably one verse that has all 24 together. Um, most, there are other places where you can find this, but Matthew 19.28 has this has the four, 24 all together. Um, let me just read that because it gives us a, a picture, understanding of what we have here in 1928. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you that when you have followed me in the regeneration, this is after, afterwards, <laughs> when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, that must be afterwards, ye, all shall, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. All right, who are the twenty-four? You mentioned there in that verse. Well, we've got 12 apostles and 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, an Old Testament church, New Testament church. A picture of the church seated around the throne, which is here we are tonight, the church seated around. There's not very much of the church here, but the church seated around the throne of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the picture we have of here in, in verse 4. These 24 elders, a picture of the church glorifying uh, endlessly the one who sits on the throne forever and ever. I'd like to, our focus wants to be on verses 6 to 8. <clears throat> Before the throne there was a sea of glass like into crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts. I'd like to talk about the four beasts this evening and try to discover a little what the four beasts are, what they might mean for us um, here in Bible school and in our lives today. What are these four beasts? The first beast is like a lion, second like a calf, third man, the fourth beast like a flying eagle. We're going to look at these and look at some other scriptures in the Bible that also give us a list of four and try to see how these compare and what they might mean for us today. What is the meaning of these four? <clears throat> Full of eyes in front and Behind, inside, it says, who are these? What is, what's the meaning of these, these beasts that we have here? And what can we learn from that tonight? So we're going to, I think I'm going to have you, um, someone maybe get Ezekiel 110. Anyone out there get Ezekiel 110? Somebody get Exodus 3018. Ezekiel 110, someone? Okay. Exodus 3018. Somebody else, okay. And Romans 10, 16 to 18. All right, good. Going to have you read those verses. 
In those verses, there are some more lists. We have the one list I already put on here. The one list of the four beasts, the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle. Now, each of the other references also have a four, and we're going to look at those and try to discover the relation between these lists of four so we get an idea of what's he, what's he talking about here with these four beasts. Uh, Ezekiel 1.10. All right, what are the four there? Just listen. Who read the verse? <laughs> First one was a man, then a lion, then an ox, and then an eagle. Those are the ones you have in Ezekiel 110. That's, that's another list of these four, same, same idea, um, although in Ezekiel, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we didn't read the whole passage yet, but in Ezekiel, I believe it's one being that has four faces, it has a face in front, face in this side, face in, face in the back, and it says they didn't turn when they went, they always went straight ahead, well, which way is straight ahead? If you've got eyes here, and eyes here, and eyes here, and eyes here, which way is straight ahead? They always went straight ahead. Well, there's no place to go that wasn't straight ahead because every direction you went was straight ahead. You got some eyes looking that way. Uh, difficult, again, to describe and try to get the picture of what actually was this. Uh, what kind of a being was it? Well, we, it's, it's beyond our, our understanding. We can't quite figure all that out. Anyway, Exodus 38, 18. I understand that we have a class in types and shadows. Brother Joe is teaching. Now, in case Joe teaches something a little different than what I do, Listen to Joe. But for right now, we're going to read Exodus 38, 18, and get the colors there. All right, this is the courtyard in the tabernacle. The entrance into the place where you found God. That was the entrance. You have these four colors. What are the four colors? The last one's a little difficult to see there. But what are the four colors? Blue, purple, scarlet, and... All right, I call that white. Blue, purple, scarlet, and white. Those are the four colors that there were on the entrance into the tabernacle. And of course, this is the way to get in. This is, uh, this is, this is how you get in to find God. Now remember, this is the entrance, and it's also these four animals, and it's also these four faces. Something's supposed to be all the same in all these, because they all have the same message. What is it? Romans 10, 16 to 18. Now this is, he doesn't have a list here. He just has an idea. Read that one. Do you know what he's talking about there? <laughs> Can you give us something that makes sense with four? About the third or fourth word is something that you have four of, and you know it very well. What was the third or fourth word? Gospel, I think. Do you know four gospels? <clears throat> you probably do. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, so these four, these lists of four, all mean the same thing. Now, I'm going to ask you, and since you're Bible school students, you should already know without even me asking you, you should be able to all tell me what's the relation between list one, list two, list three, and list four. Now, one and two is not hard to figure out. You can figure that out pretty good. But to get from two to three to four might be a, a little bit of a step, but I think we can see uh, what, the, what the relation is now on, uh, as we think about it a little bit. <clears throat> Who's going to help us out? You have a 25% chance. I'm going to start with the color blue on the top. Uh, the color blue, which of the list on the, of the animals might respond to or correspond to blue? Any guesses? Or maybe not a guess, maybe just telling me what it is. Eagle. Huh? Eagle. Why? Sky. Eagles fly in the sky. All right. So he thinks eagles fly in the sky. Eagle, blue. All right, that sounds good. Now, which one of the Gospels goes with that? Only one Gospel says, In my Father's house, are many mansions. Huh? John. Somebody did it. <laughs> All right. John, the, the, the picture, the eagle is, is giving us a picture of John. That's the idea. That's, John, in his gospel, does it a little different than the other writers in their gospels. John has this ability to tell stories and, and like in chapter 9, the story of the blind man, man more blind, and, and how Jesus came and healed him, and um, all the people that saw him and asked him, where did you come from? Who are you? Are you really the blind man? Ask his parents. Parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. How you, we, don't, we, we just don't know. Well, who told you? How did you get saved? Well, I told you once. You want to become a disciple? No, 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 no. Uh, well, he doesn't, this man can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Oh, strange, said the man. Strange. Hmm. Ever since, the world never has anyone ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. You, you haven't even tried it. You didn't tell them that, but they hadn't even tried. No one has ever done this. And here this man opens my eyes, and you can't figure out where he comes from? Get out of here. You, went, you never went to school. You don't know anything. What else can you say? That's the way John does his book. Different times he has stories like that. He doesn't really give you the conclusion. He just gives you what happens. And it's up to you to draw the conclusions and see, oh, yes, this is the Son of God. And he brings that out a number of times in his Gospels. All right, next. Um, purple. Who's going to guess on purple and tell me why? Why? King. Lion is the king. Purple is the king. All right. Lion is purple, so that's, that one corresponds with purple. And the gospel? Only one gospel says, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Matthew. Matthew. All right. <clears throat> the... We may talk later in the week, Lord willing, we may talk about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is mentioned, I forget, like 48 times in the book of Matthew, more times than all the other books put together, I think. Kingdom. <coughs> the kingdom of heaven. 
So the, that's, a, that's a, a gospel of kingdom there, uh, the kingdom gospel in Matthew. All right, we've only got two left, so now you're down to 50-50 chance. You have to get the next one, right? Uh, let's try Scarlet. Which one's going to be Scarlet? Red? Blood? Sacrifice? Calf. Ox. All right, the calf and the ox, that's Scarlet. And which one of the two remaining Gospels is going to be the corresponding one there? That's a little harder to get. Um, but the, uh, one of the Gospels, one of the remaining two Gospels, starts off the first chapter saying immediately and straightway and forthwith, I think there's like, what, 12 miracles, or I'm not sure, in the first chapter of this book. He starts right off bearing our burdens, the oxen. Which one is it? Which gospel is that? Mark. All right. Now you have to guess on the next one because there's only one left. Luke, of course, gives the genealogy of Jesus from Jesus all the way back to Adam, which was the son of God. The only book that gives your genealogy of Jesus as being a man. He, he, he kind of traces his manliness, his uh, how would you say his, his being a man? He is a true man. <clears throat> All right, so now we have the four beasts. The picture of the four beasts here is actually, um, uh, I guess we just call it a picture of the Gospels. We like to think this evening of Jesus as the Gospel, the good news, the message going out. That's who Jesus is, and this message is going out through all the earth. There's four of them. There are four directions, north, south, east, and west. And there are other things in the Bible that talk about the four. In your Types and Shadows class, you probably studied about the four horns on the altar and the four winds of the heavens and other fours that are in the Bible talking about the fours that go out north, south, east, and west, the four directions. This gospel that we have is universal. It goes out every direction to every people, every language, no matter who you are, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Down there we have people, of course, in our churches who speak Kekchi, but when they get a Bible in Kekchi and read it, it means just, they get the message just like we do in English. And other people in other languages, same way, and it means the same thing, and it changes people the same way. And they can come to the same conclusions because the message is universal. Even though the culture is very different, and the language is very different, but the result on people is the same because one man... Not man. One person made them all. God made them all. So there are similarities in all people. I come to Bible school and I say, and these, and these, I can't keep all of your names. You all look the same to me. Everybody looks the same. Well, it's worse when you come to Belize. Everybody looks the same down there, too. But each person is a little different. Each person has his own individual personality, um, looks, and everything. God knows each person. But still, every person is somehow the same. There's something that's the same in every person. That soul that we have on the inside is something that's the same in every person, has the same needs, doesn't make any difference where you are in the world or in your experience or in your age, it doesn't make any difference. That same need is on the inside, need for God and need for him. And this gospel meets every need. Now I'd like to note, note a little bit about these, these beasts in verse... Um, especially in verse 7. 
It says in verse 6, let's read verse 6 again, about the eyes. Now, I'd like to think about the eyes this time. Um, there were four beasts in the end of verse 6, full of eyes before and behind. This book, and I'm going to use this book, the Bible, this book is full of eyes. This book is full of eyes before and behind. This book can figure out where you came from, and it tells you where you're going. This book understands all about you. There's nothing about you that this book doesn't relate to. In this book, you can find the answers for every person. It doesn't make a difference who they are, where they are. This book has got eyes that see everything. Not only that, but according to verse 7, the no, pardon me, verse 8, the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. That's the one we don't like. They're full of eyes within. Not only can they see where you came from, not only can they can see where you're going, but they can see inside. They know what's inside of you. This book talks about what's inside of us. It knows our thoughts. It knows our intentions. It knows the people that we don't like. It knows the people we like. It knows our feelings of anger. It knows our feelings of jealousy. It knows all about us. And it speaks to every person, every individual, because it's full of eyes. This book talks to each individual, each person, each need. It's full of eyes. So this week, as we are here in Bible school, you're here for three weeks, allow this book to look inside you. Allow this book to see who you are. Our brothers mentioned this morning, he said, it's kind of dangerous sometimes to tell God to really show you who you are, what you look like, but it's good. It's right. It's proper for us to say, show me who I am. Examine my heart. Examine my life. Show me who I am. Help me to see that I'm a needy person, a person with evil desires. Who, where did I just read or heard that just recently that we are Isaiah okay we'll get there we haven't gotten there yet we're going to get there I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips we'll get there in just a little bit continuing in verse 8 they rest not day and night saying holy 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 Lord God almighty which was and is and is to come. I don't know if we can figure or if we can understand. I'm sure we can't. We'll never be able to fathom that truth. But this book, I think, ceases not to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This book is full of the holiness of God. Some people read it, they don't even quite see it. But if we allow God to speak to us, and if we really look for God here, we will hear the book saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy. <clears throat> One of his characteristics, of course, we know is holiness. God has many other characteristics. God is the God of love. God is the God of goodness. He is the God of judgment. God of wrath. No place that I know of, does it say any of the other virtues of God three times? No place to say God is love, love, love. Or God is good, good, good. But twice in the Bible it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
perhaps the reason his love is so astounding is because his holiness is so great. People on earth love things that give them good response and, and they get something out of it and, and there's some sort of a, uh, reciprocal reaction there. God loved us when we were yet sinners, when he didn't even care about him and didn't know who he was and God loved us. And his holiness should have made us so repugnant to him that he didn't ever want to look at us. But his love, you might say, I don't, know, I don't want to say overcame his holiness, but his love is greater when we realize the holiness of God. As holy as he is, holy, holy, holy. In spite of his holiness, he loved us, we might say. And in spite of his holiness, he's good to us. In spite of his holiness, he actually gave us one more day. In fact, we have a whole new year. We call it a new year 2022. We have these blessings from God in spite of the fact that he's holy, and we're not always. In fact, maybe we sell tomorrow. Isaiah 6. Let's just turn there. Isaiah 6, where we have the same <clears throat> words when Isaiah had his vision, and he saw this vision of the holiness of God, and his response in Isaiah 6. <clears throat> Verse 2, we'll start. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved the voice of him that cried, and the houses filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Definitely, when we see the King, the Lord of hosts, and get a picture of his holiness and his purity and our uncleanness, we'll, we'll have the same reaction that Isaiah did. In fact, if you turn back now to Revelation 4, you'll see what happens. Revelation 4, what happens when these four beasts say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I'm going to read the verses here in Samuel, if I can find them. In 1 Samuel 6, when they opened the ark, the ark came back to the country of the Philistines where it had been down there for was it six months. It came back and the men of Bashemish saw the ark coming and they were so happy to see it come back. In verse 19, and he smote the men of Bashemish because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And they said, and the men of Bashemish said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God. And to whom shall he go from us? If you have a bottle of very strong perfume and you open it in the corner of a room, pretty soon the whole room smells of perfume. It just kind of goes out and out and out. That's the way the holiness of God was in this case. They opened the holiness of God, so to speak, and man cannot endure the holiness of God, although he's attracted to it, and it just kind of went out in waves and just people just fell over dead. It just seemed like it just Worse than Corona by a long ways. And as the smell came out, they, they just fell over dead. And then they said, no, 
who can who can stand before this holy Lord God? Who can stand before this holy Lord God? Holiness, we cannot, man cannot stand in the holiness of God. Thankfully, there's one in between, Jesus, who is our mediator. <clears throat> but back in Revelation 4, what happens? It says in verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. Okay, now this book here, this gospel, is giving thanks and is exalting the God of heaven. What happens? Verse 10, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were, are, and were created. <clears throat> the church, the 24 elders, when this book exalts God, when this book shows the holiness of God, when this book helps us to see God, what does the church do? The church falls down and worships. Cast their crowns before him and saying, you are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy because you have created us. <coughs> Pardon me. According to chapter 5, there's another step yet. We're not going to have time to go. We're not going to go there. Chapter 5, where he talks about another, a new song and a, a new reason or a reason people can sing a new song. I'd like to think just a little bit more this evening yet of the power of the Word of God itself in meeting our needs. Turn with me to John chapter 8. Um, a picture here of the correctness, the exactness, the accuracy, the right word of Jesus. People they sometimes say, well, I don't know. Maybe God doesn't really mean we have to have feet washing or the sisters have to wear a veiling, or that we should not go to war, or, you know, that was a long time ago, so it's a little different today. <clears throat> Maybe he didn't quite mean that. Maybe some of the things don't quite mean what it says. John chapter 8 gives a picture of how accurate the words are. Um, I'm going to quickly read it. Try not to read too fast. Um, chapter 8. Verse 1, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple. That was the bell, I guess. All the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when he had set her in her midst, <clears throat> in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have, hope, might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the dust, ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued to ask him, him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and rolled on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman, woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man accused, condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If you have a red-letter edition, you will notice how many words Jesus spoke. About two sentences. The rest of it's all story. Pharisees had a whole bunch of words. They came with all sorts of accusations. And they wanted to get Jesus in an argument. And they, were gonna, they thought they had him this time. We're gonna, no matter what he says, we're going to catch him. Whichever way he turns, we're going to catch him. Oh, okay. Jesus, with one sentence, solved the Solved the argument with one sentence. 
It only took one sentence. Now, that's wonderful. We don't have that ability. Sometimes we wish we knew the exact words to use. Jesus knew in one sentence, only one sentence, it was enough to all the men who were there accusing them, accusing this lady, all of them, I guess they started looking at each other. I don't know. Did they ask who the oldest was? I don't think so. They, they probably just looked at each other and just kind of, you know, and just, just kind of backed out and went home. <clears throat> then another two sentences Jesus uses with a woman. Where are thy accusers? And so on. And then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We call that maybe salvation. Salvation with only about three sentences. Now, do you think he knew the right words to say? Did he have a pretty good idea what, was, what should be said, what should not be said? Obviously he did. Because with only a couple sentences, he defeated all his enemies. And he saved a woman in only a few sentences. Proverbs. Um, where is that at? Proverbs 30, verse 5. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Talk about the words of God. It says in verse 5, Every word of God is pure. Every word. Psalm 12 Verse 6 repeats the idea about the words of God that he knows what he means, he knows what he's saying, and he means what he says. In Psalm 12th Psalm and verse 6 says this The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. What God spoke. This Bible we have, this gospel we have, this message we have, this truth we have has been purified seven times. And, and it's clean and exact, and God says what he means. He means what he says. God's words are eternal. God's words are exact. And God's words are everlasting. God's, God knows exactly what we need. And he says it exactly the way we need to hear it, I guess we would say. We spoke a little about John chapter 9. You have almost the same thing in John chapter 9. That's the story of the blind man we mentioned earlier. Look in the book of, look in John 9 and see how many words Jesus spoke. Very, very few. I think the only words he spoke were to the man was go and wash, something like that. It wasn't much at all. It was just very little. And at the end of the story then, he comes back and says a few more words and he's got another saved man. Um... Let's see, what did he say? In verse 7, he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. It seemed like that's all he said to the man. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And at the end of the chapter, and then um, Jesus came back to him and said, in verse 35, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And the man said, Who is he? And Jesus said, I am he. And then the man said, He believed. Another salvation with only a few words of Jesus in his whole chapter. Did he know what to say? Did he have the right words? Did he have a problem getting the wrong words sometimes? No, he knew what to say. And he means exactly what he says. 
<clears throat> so I don't think we have to worry about God not knowing what to say or not understanding or not meaning what he says. Let's close with John um, chapter 12. <clears throat> John chapter 12. <clears throat> and I don't know how many of the verses we ought to read here. Verse 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. Okay, there we are. My words. If you don't like my words, I didn't come to judge. Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that day. It's going to be there anyway. Even if you don't like it, it doesn't make any difference, and we're not going to force it on you. And you don't have to believe it. You can do it, go your own way if you want to. But the word is still there. It hasn't changed, and it won't change. Verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life. I know that his commandment is life, everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said to me, so I speak. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we thank you this night again for your word, your gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who was the personification of your perfection and your will and your desire for us. And he came and walked on the earth and left a record that meets all of our needs. We thank you for this. We have this in your word. We ask that you will help us uh, as we are here in Bible school and as we are this week, that you will uh, open your word to our hearts and our needs, our lives, and speak. May the eyes of your word um, search in us um, before and behind and within, and then we will be open to your searching. Forgive us where we fail. Open our hearts to your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us and help us as we are here. So continue to guide us this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.